0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, My name is Anna Lindner, and I am a new host on the network. And today, we're very lucky to be able to talk to um, the author of this book, Black or Right, Anti-slash-Racist Campus Rhetorics, Um, Louis M. Mirage. He is a native of Trinidad and Tobago, and he thinks, creates, and converses with and through theoretical Black studies, rhetoric, digital media, and critical pedagogies. His scholarship specifically addresses anti-slash-racism, anti-slash-Blackness, an expressive form. His book, which explores everyday notions of Blackness in historically white institutions, is the winner of the C's 2022 Outstanding Book Award. His recent essays appear in Pro Studies, Women's Communication Studies in Communication, and Films for the Feminist Classroom. He is an assistant professor in the University of British Columbia's School of Journalism, Writing, and Media. Louis, thanks so much for coming on.
0: Of course, and thanks so much for having me. appreciate it.
1: Yeah, so as we talk about your book... Um, I briefly introduce you, but do you have anything that you want to talk about in terms of uh, where you grew up or the inspiration for writing this book, uh, your education, et cetera?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm from uh, the Caribbean Island of Trinidad. That's where I uh, was born and raised. Um, And growing up, I kind of, um, idolized um, academics uh, almost, um, historians, um, uh, folks like C.L.R. James and Eric Williams who were um, I think both, you know, academics and historians and writers and authors, but also very politically involved with um, uh, um, decolonization of um, uh, the Caribbean and Trinidad in in particular. Uh, And so um, I always looked up to those people and I sort Mm -hmm. of decided fairly early on that I wanted to be a doctor, but then realized I couldn't really actually engage the sight of blood. So it wasn't going to happen, that it wasn't going to be a medical doctor. Um, uh, And so uh, I left Trinidad to go to school in the States originally to become a journalist. Um, And so I went to a small public liberal arts college called Ramapo college uh, in New Jersey uh, In my undergrad there while there uh, I uh, had the uh, privilege of going on a study abroad trip to India for six months, six months, which was very, um, uh, um, it was generative in the sense that this was where I started having an interest in social justice. Um, The, study abroad trip um, was focused on peace and justice movements, women's rights movements, labor movements, um, uh, environmental um, uh, uh, movements there. And so I got um, interested in that sort of stuff, but then went to graduate school um, uh, at Texas Tech to become a poet. Um, I was very interested in poetry. So I did a master's degree uh, out in Lubbock, Texas, While there I had uh, an especially violent encounter with the police Um, and that started to sort of change the trajectory in terms of how I thought about um, uh, my presence in the United States as someone who identifies as a Black, um, uh, at the time a Black international student. After that, a Black immigrant slash migrant worker um, uh, before, you know, I'm, I'm now in Canada. So, um, but, uh, went to graduate school there to do a master's degree. Then I went to Ohio state, um, where I did my PhD, uh, after, um, deciding that I wanted to switch my focus to study literature, um, I started off there studying very old literature, early modern literature, Renaissance literature, uh, because I was really interested in poetic form and how people use language in particular ways, uh, particularly at the beginning of um, what is understood to be, you know, quote unquote, modernity or what we understand as like, you know, uh, the sort of modern world. Um, And uh, didn't really feel like I fit in, um, in that, in, in studying that. Um, and so during that time, it was about 2014, 2015, the Ferguson uprising happened, um, Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, started to, uh, generate, um, a lot of attention, uh, and to change a lot of people's minds and a lot of, a lot of the ways that we think about blackness. And for me, having been been in the us i uh, uh, as somebody from the caribbean uh, i always felt um uh, alienated or I, I not always but most of the time felt alienated in um spaces that were quote-unquote black spaces um, because of my identity as um, someone who is not from the us um, but the black lives matter movement in sort of unpacking what it meant kind of really focused in on, uh, different kinds of blackness. Uh, it was, it was a movement that was not necessarily interested in particularly like the U S context. Uh, and I saw, um, myself sort of really getting interested in, in what the black lives matter movement meant. And that tuned the direction of like what I wanted to study because I was, um, really then confronted a lot in classrooms as I was starting to teach with, um, with my own um, idea. My, my idea of Blackness was being challenged by, by doing the job of, of teaching at historically white institutions. So um, this is something I actually recount in the first chapter of, of the book. Um, uh, an encounter where a student kept asking, a uh, Black male student, an uh, um, American student kept asking, are you Black? Um, and this was really, I think, the the point at which the the book started. Um, it was thinking about why, uh, if I was saying, yes, I, I, I do identify as Black, why that would be challenged um, so... Um, uh, vociferously so you know repeatedly and that got me thinking about in what ways are um uh do people uh do black people communicate you know their blackness in what ways in what expressive forms in 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 what Rhetorics do um, what? Re- what rhetorics do Black people use to communicate their presence in historically white spaces, and particularly violent um, uh, um, historically white spaces? And so that is a very quick overview of you know what led me to the book. Um, the the book was first my dissertation, um, and started to think it, uh, about it a little bit differently. Following the dissertation, revised it. Uh, and it became black or white, right, uh, anti slash racist campus rhetorics.
1: Great, yeah. And speaking about those slashes, uh, let's talk briefly about those stylistic choices. So, for those who are not as familiar with the more critical scholarship and the use of those slashes, parentheses, etc., could you explain what that usage suggests about the fixity and slash or Power of language and why that is so central to your work?
0: For sure. So Black All Right is interested in thinking about, um, as I mentioned before, how um, folks, and that's student staff, faculty, uh, and people in surrounding communities uh, at um, historically white institutions make meaning. Uh, one of the central um, ideas in the book is that Blackness uh is not something that is fixed or can't be fixed to one particular meaning. It's not a monolith. Um, uh, it's not something that um, can be described in a very finite way. And um, despite attempts to do that. And so the way that the book is using, or the way I am using language in the book um, and using these slashes and using uh, parentheses, um, in some cases, I'm using poems uh, to communicate um, uh, the, way the, the, the way that these slashes and the way that language is, is in the book is to really communicate that um, Blackness is a moving thing and that uh, even language structures can be um, uh, restrictive, oppressive uh, in terms of thinking about um, uh, what things might mean. And so there are a lot of ways that the slashes in the book. So the slashes are are there to mean and or, but they're also about the possibilities, you know, of beside uh, and under and over and and thinking about um, what the different sides, the words on the different side sides of a slash means. Um, if you go through the book and you read a particular sentence. Um, uh, without one of those tombs, it'll give you one meaning. If you read it with the other, it'll give you another. If you read it with a slash, it'll give you another. Um, uh, and it should, Yeah. and so there are particular places where this is really stressed um, uh, to evoke particular kinds of imagery um, one of my favorite, favorite sort of uses of slashes in the book is um, relations ships in breaking up the weird relationships because it um, both calls and Hawkins to the um, transatlantic slave trade and the, the role of ships in, in, in that history, which is um, uh, brought up in the book um, a few times. And about relationality and the relations between people and the relationship between histories, etc. So there are ways that the slashes are working to perform what the book is arguing. Um, And in some ways, the uses of language, um, uh, as you might have noticed, it's not all standardized uh, American English. Um, uh, It embraces um, language or Englishes from the Caribbean. Um, uh, that are um, really not there are no standardized ways to spell some of these words and that's something I'm also playing with so there might be instances where I'm using a particular expression in Trini English and then I'm using the same expression and it's not spelled the same way so I want to break out of um, this idea that there is one way to think about um, blackness uh, and that's the role that the language in the book is playing
1: that's great um very important for questioning the ways that we are using language and thinking about language approaching language and assuming about language um and to kind of complement that work that you're doing with the type of grammatical you know signifying if you will um you talk about the th- the theoretical frameworks that you're using, uh, which involve Black feminists and African indigenous methodologies as well that guide your analysis. Could you talk a little bit more about uh, both of those, which are obviously, again, not monolithic, um, so it might be hard to summarize, and explain why that grounding is so important for considering what's at stake not just for your work, kind of more narrow narrowly, but in terms of the many manifestations of Black being, and especially when we consider that this is in the face of very violent anti-Blackness,
0: for sure. So um, I'll start by sort of talking a little bit about the um, African indigenous sort of research methodologies that are the the book is uh, grounded in. So. Um, uh, I am sort of engaging with um, uh, theories about uh, both human being and sort of doing work or exchanging knowledge in particular communities that are based uh, on a concept called botho or Ubuntu, uh, which sort of, it, it tries to think with, uh, the ways in what we're in the work that we do in our lives. And particularly in, 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 in as a research method- methodology, to think about how all our particular relations to uh, specifically the most marginalized beings, whether sort of living or dead, and to have respect for those beings and the way, and, and to, to understand there's a particular relationship, always between um, how, uh, we treat each other, how we treat our environments, um, uh, and and there's a uh, a respect in, in for for thinking about space and thinking about other people um, that that um, that particular concept um, uh, affords. And so the the book is grounded in that, and uh, particularly um, mobilizes that in thinking through. Um, what I call, um, or what I, not me, but what is termed as uh, Black feminist relationality. And that concept is really about thinking through the way that s- s- systemic power, interpersonal power, and um, uh, um, communicative power all are wrapped up in, um, as Patricia L. Collins, uh, Black feminist uh, thinker. Calls um, matrices of domination uh, the way that our identities and our positionalities are shaped by multiple um, facets of our our being and um, really thinking about all of those um, uh, in generative ways in in terms of uh, you know in a lot of ways the book is is about the way people communicate, but it's also about how power is constantly involved in that. Um, and um, it's not simply at an interpersonal level, which is one, one way people tend to read racism and anti-racism. Uh, you know, if you if you see someone and stereotype them, that that's, that's uh, um, one way that, or that's, you know, the primary way that, that racism works. Um, but relationality affords us to understand, like, what are the systems of power that operate, that are operating to, to make those stereotypes happen? Um, uh, and, and, and so, you know, thinking about the well of tropes that's being drawn on when, when, when someone sees someone and stereotypes them and how that is implicated by, uh, each party's sort of positionality and relationship to those systems of power, who has access because of whiteness, who has access because of economic class, who has access because of ability and, uh, um, uh, able-bodiedness who has access because of how, um, uh, what, you know, language it is that they, 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 speak primarily, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, the the taking those approaches allowed me to think really um, carefully and deeply about how communication is fraught um, in relationship to all you know all of these systems of power um, that. We uh, might not see every day, right, um, but is overwhelmingly a part of mm-hmm. the way that uh, anti-blackness functions and you know capitalism functions and neoliberalism functions, et etc.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think your work does a really good job at drawing all of those together in a way that remains coherent, which you know, as you know, is very difficult to do um, and is able to kind of zoom in and zoom out as, a, as historians, for example, we're always struggling with the, the general and the particular, uh, the specific and the broad. And um, I feel like your work moves through those really well in a way that a- you're able to follow, which is, again, difficult to do. Um, and speaking of the particular, you mentioned this at the beginning, but in the first chapter, you talk about interactions with one of the black students in your class, T, and you talk about how that relates to negotiations of blacknesses, if you will, with slash in the academy, um, expanding on what you already mentioned maybe talk a little bit about how that connects to Sharpe's call to become undisciplined and why that's important for people like yourself who have decided to try to negotiate blackness both within but then also beyond and outside of the academy with a justice kind of critical orientation
0: yeah thanks for that question um uh um it's a very good question. so the the interaction between me and this particular student, most uh, I think most instructors, most teachers, most professors might see that kind of interaction as a kind of disruption uh, and uh, and maybe would try to stop it from happening. And I'm not going to say that when it was happening, it wasn't incredibly uncomfortable. but, one, one of the things that the book is interested in theorizing and thinking about is generative disruption. What does it mean for disruption to do more than simply um, uh, shake up or, or temporarily uh, call the status quo into question? And so what I think T was doing or um, what I read T is doing through the, this constant questioning and the way that the questions were being asked so it was first asked uh, you know um are you are you black um and then i said yeah and, and explained my particular background uh and that had me questioning a lot of things in terms of is it my accent that mocks me as someone who's not from uh, america is it the way that i dress is it my gender performance is it um uh, is it the my skin tone? Is it like are we talking in you know in terms um, of um, as somebody who is um, light skinned? Um, are we talking you know this stu- particular student was dark skinned and so it, it was it sort of something about um, uh, racism at the intersection of color- colorism that we were talking about, like what, you know the reasoning behind what we were um, uh, the tension. Um, and then it was asked in relation specifically to the, 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 um, the history of the transatlantic slave planta- plantation um, and the transatlantic slave trade, where this particular student asked, you know, if, if this was, you know, slave days, would you be uh, the house slave and I, would I be in the field? Um, and again, I sort of started to think through, like, what does this mean? Is it because I'm an, inst- an instructor in front of a classroom? Uh, is it because of the space we were in? Is it, be- you know, is it because of the material that we were, we were, you know, engaging? And then um, uh, one of the final times that it w- the the final time it was asked the question, it was specifically in relation to uh, the N and if I use it, and how I engage that, and then so that of that had me thinking about language and what who 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 owns language and who 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 can claim to be a particular identity because they can use particular kinds of language, and so I simply asked, "T at that point, you know, what is it um, about?" Um, uh, me that is not you know that's not convincing or you know why do you keep asking this question uh, and um, uh, he responded by saying it was because I was in front of the classroom I was a teacher in this particular space and I'm fairly sure that it was all of those things not simply that it you know the environment but the 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 particular environment and my positionality in it that gave me a way to think about uh bodies and spaces and what are all what is all caught up in the way that we communicate and then the way that we relate to each other um, what are the histories that are there um, uh, um, how is you know uh, how are things like nationality and um uh, gender uh, um and um uh um color etc t- caught up in um uh what we believe to be a particular identity um the, the way that this connects with Christina shops work, um, uh, or, or, I mean, it collects and, uh, connects with Christina shops work in a lot of ways, but the way that it connects to this notion of being undisciplined is, um, that have I, in, uh, in terms of the level of sort of literal, um, uh, sort of like classroom discipline or et- etiquette, um, had I not been open to seeing that as sort of a generative fracture or a reason for conversation, we could have I you know I, I could have mobilized my authority as an instructor and stopped that conversation from happening throughout the the um throughout the semester. But it was in in embracing this sort of, uh, okay, this is a question. It's not the most comfortable question, but it is a really sort of generative um, question to sort of sit with. Um, uh, Then we can sort of take out this, we can play with the idea that blackness is or can be represented, can we represent it as one thing? Right. Uh, it's not one particular wood. It's not one particular um uh um color, it's not one particular um kind of gender performance. Um and in this case specifically black masculinity isn't you know one particular gender f- performance. And um and so there was a lot to be um uh thought about and said um about allowing space for that disruption um and it was there was in terms of and i I understand this this notion of becoming undisciplined uh as operating in a number of ways so one way that the book overall is doing it is thinking through um not being bound to any particular kind of um uh uh uh, field of thought, one particular academic discipline. You know, drawing from a lot of different um, authors from a bunch of different fields to make and think through its its arguments. But also, as we talked before, undisciplining the 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 very sort of mechanics of language, using slashes, using parentheses, um, using language that um uh when I was brought up, I was told it was broken English right that was was wrong, right um to think through um what why do we have these notions of right and wrong which goes to the title of the book um and um and so the idea of undisciplining when I'm telling the story uh, it ends on this kind of spoken word which is not really a spoken word because it's printed, um, uh, but it, you know it's a, something that I've performed before um, addressed to T um, because that was the way that I think um, uh, would uh, effectively communicate our relationship and our relationality um, to each other um, on this question of what is blackness. And so there are way there the, um, that that undisciplining is working in a number of ways. It's sort of working at the level of uh, sort of interpersonal communication, um, uh, sort of being okay with the discomfort of a, a, a disruption or a disruption to authority um, in the case of student um, uh, instructor um, relationship, and um, being sort of okay with the, this this. Um, idea that we don't necessarily always have to talk to one audience or one group of thinkers when we think about blackness, um, because in that way we kind of cordon off, um, uh, um, uh, you know, what, you know, blackness means on a sociological level, what blackness means on a rhetorical level, what blackness means on, you know, in terms of gender and sexuality uh, in ways that are that kind of pigeonhole how we think about, um, uh, um, blackness and anti-blackness. It's also working on the level of, um, uh, undisciplining how we think about different categories of identity, um, that, you know, racial identity, um, could be cannot be thought of without thinking about gender identity, without thinking about um, uh, one's sort of ability or disabilities, uh, without thinking about one's um, uh, class and, and and economic wealth, without thinking about you know, um, all of these things that make up our intersectional identities. And so to undisciplined meaning is to really to call into question really that, um way of reading where we think okay um uh we're talking right now about blackness right so we're talking about race um but no we're actually talking about gender and we're talking about space and we're talking about um uh education and we're also talking about sociology but we're also talking about um uh sexuality in some ways and we're talking about um uh um uh class and language use uh and and so on so um the this is something that's cutting across the entire book at the beginning there's an invitation to think in this way um about the contents that are about to come you know think thinking um uh it along the mode of uh something we say in Trinidad mashing up the place, which is to uh destroy any concept of I mean there's there's two ways it can be read. it's you know uh it can be read as a really joyful thing uh celebration and another way as like being disruptive and I wanna to to and there's a way that that phrase uh embodies that kind of um, mix and play um and uh relational sort of uh nature of of blackness. And so I invite readers to not think along the lines of, okay, well I've I've under, I've understood this now, uh, or I don't understand this now after I read it, um, but to 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 think more dynamically about knowledge and the way that sometimes not knowing what something means is actually a way of knowing. Um, And, and so um, that all has to do with this, this, this idea of um, being undisciplined and not, not simply thinking about things in terms of wrong and right um, uh, or good and bad um, uh, or black or white. Right. Um, So yeah, I, I, that's, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, um, and that's a good explanation. It's, it's this kind of unbounded nexus of so many things that is the, at the heart of critical studies and theory that um, is really hard to capture in language, which is obviously the central problem and central kind of thrust of this study um, in general. Um, and to kind of get at capturing or not capturing or you know trying to but not being able to um, these kind of tangled intersections you use a metaphor that i think kind of helps with that a little bit Um, might be a metaphor it might be uh, a method it might be a theoretical lens Uh, deep rhetorical ecologies um to theorize the para slash ontology which you know goes to what you were just talking about well it's more epistemologies knowing not knowing no not knowing as a form of knowing of black being and wake work again to talk about shark, who you pull in a lot and who i think obviously is very helpful for understanding what's happening here um why is interconnectedness so important to those ontologies as well as to the decisions you made about text to analyze as well as, you know, more in terms of your pedagogy, the curricula you teach, for example.
0: Um, Yeah. So interconnectedness, um, again, I think is related to the sort of methodological frameworks to black feminist relationality to um, the African indigenous framework um, that uh, I use uh, as a basis for doing this study Um, and uh, is related to um, those particular concepts um, that you, you, you touch on uh, in a lot of ways. So I guess I think, I think maybe explaining a little bit about what each of those concepts uh, mean and how they're related um, to the content might be a way to approach this. So in terms of the deeper, deep rhetorical ecology, what I'm thinking about is um, not um, simply how... People, um, or objects, or spaces communicate information, but uh, also the interconnected, um, or, uh, intercontextual ways that histories and other bodies not present within that particular space. So when we, I think, you know, going back to the example of tea, when we were in the classroom space, um, we our conversation was, um, uh, at one point, you know, about. Transatlantic slavery. Why? Um, uh, because that was an important sort of historical framework for T to understand our uh, power dynamics, um, and so there's a um, there's a way that scholarship that have has has used this metaphor, the rhetorical ecology, has has used it um, uh, to think about humans and their relationships to the environment uh, in relationship to objects uh, and the way that objects make meaning. But I, I, I'm sort of pushing a little against that to think about the ways that power is implicated in all of that, um, uh, to, to think um, about, for instance, how communities surrounding a particular college campus are implicated in what's happening on that campus and vice versa. Uh, and so in the fourth chapter of the book, I talk about, you know, living on, in this off-campus neighborhood and and seeing this um, sort of anti-Nazi poster and how that, what, what that means in that particular moment, because on the same street uh, I had been uh, jumped by uh, um, someone I would, to t- a vigilante who thought I had mugged him earlier in the night. And so there were, there's a lot of ways that campus, policing is related to that space that you don't necessarily see if we say, we're just going to read this classroom as a, as a site. Uh, And so I wanted to, to make sure that um, in my use of the rhetorical ecology, I was thinking deeply about power relations history um, uh, and the way um, that um, the immediate situation, uh, reading the immediate situation isn't, Always going to give us the um uh necessarily necessary tools for understanding communication in a particular moment, um uh and or or not understanding communication in a particular moment. So I um that's the the deep rhetorical ecology. Para slash ontology. When I'm thinking about that, um I'm thinking with uh um a couple strains of uh philosophical thought and black studies on one side um, folks who study ontology, the nature of being and what it means for black people and are black people even able to have, or to claim being in a white world where the sort of uh, um, racist understandings of uh, blackness is that, you know, it was something, um, uh, it is something that is mapped onto Black people for the purpose of domination and violence, for the purpose of white su- supremacy. Um, and so, I'm thinking with 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 scholars who have theorized about ontology, um, uh, uh, France Fanon, um, uh, in particular but how that has led to uh, thought on uh, the way that black people don't have ontological resistance or can't claim to be in particular ways in white spaces and the white world. Um, so, uh, there are groups of scholars, you know, particular camps that understand this question in different ways. So for instance, Afro pessimists understand that, um, uh, Blackness, or some Afro-pessimists, I should say, understand that Blackness is an ontological zero. Um, Calvin, War- Cal- Calvin Warren, for instance, uh, that there is no sort of Black being within the white world. Um, and so that's all, that's on one side of the slash. That's ontology, Black ontology. On the other side is par- para-ontology. This uh, means of of uh, escaping the fugitive spaces to create different sort of imaginative uh, contacts and rules for being otherwise, uh, being uh, free, uh, or quote unquote free, um, to express blackness in particular ways. And there are folks like um, Fred Moten and Nam Chandler who have thought about, who have uh, theorized paraontology as this sort of uh, fugitive rule that one might find through particular uh, means, in particular spaces, um, uh, through particular uh, cultural performances. The slash is important here because what I want to do is get at what's in between that. How do black people both engage fugitivity in the in the um in educational spaces and also experience being uh um being nothing, right? Or being thought of as nothing. Um and so I'm using the slash here to find the spaces or the moments, however ephemeral, in between, that registers on the level of here is a way that the white academy or the white academic space is telling you you're nothing or you're, you know, or it is dehumanizing you or, um, uh, making you disposable. Here is a way in response to that, that, um, uh, um, students, activists, you know, faculty, staff are finding, um ways to tune it back onto the, that white frame to say, well, actually in this moment, what you're doing is, you know, blank, um, to call out that, you know, that um, kind of anti-black racism, while also, you know, um, still being kind of trapped in this, you know, space of disposability. Um, and so there's a kind of, Um, uh, um, it's kind of oxymoronic it's it's sort of like you know you can you can you can do so much to 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 find that those fugitive spaces but because of the way that anti-blackness works is that it it's it can come, come creeping in and so the slash is really important for the reader to think through okay you know how do I see this, right? For, as a reader, am I seeing or understanding this as a way to be free within this particular white space? Um, or am I seeing this as um, another way to be captured and used as a particular object for for white um, uh And the particular rhetorics that the book offers, the four rhetorics of uh, Black auditnography, Black hashtagging, uh, black intercontextual reading and generative black disruption all speak to uh, are all sort of modalities of um, uh slash ontological blackness, um, so that we understand if when we tell our stories um, as uh, as you know uh, public research in an autographic framework that. We're both resisting by telling our stories and approaching uh, a particular subject in our own sort of from our own positionalities in a different way. But that, you know, is caught up in the stereotype that black people are not thinkers. They're, you know, performers. Right. (laughs) And um, and autobiography is caught in that bind um, while in some ways resisting it. And in the same way, a hashtag on social media might point to a particular um, uh, idea um, for the purposes of social justice. It can also be co-opted, right? Hashtag Black Lives Matter. The life story of it is, you know, re- now related to hashtag All Lives Matter because it was co-opted, um, and you know, and co-opted in other ways too um, uh, by. Um, uh, uh fake profiles on social media sending false information etc but the the hashtag as a unit is a way to understand black communication uh, as both resisted resistant or or being resist re, uh, resisting um uh, hegemonic power and also caught up in you know the same kinds of racist capitalist you know ways that, um, uh, blackness is, is often uh, uh, used as a commodity. So, you know, hashtags inherently are used to sell people things. Hashtags are are used to um, uh, to surveil, um, and so um, those are just two examples. But those are examples of the ways that um, uh, um, power slash ontology is working um, through these particular kinds of communicative means. And um, and so uh, these concepts uh, all come through in these um, uh, these concepts. By that I mean um, deep rhetorical ecologies and um, and paraslash ontological blackness come through when we start thinking about uh, things at the granular level, at the level of let's look at this particular hashtag and let's look at how it's working. Um, which is what Chapter Two is doing. Um, let's look at the, these particular stories and then think really, you know, think both with the content of the stories, but also uh, the form of the stories. Um, uh, what it's doing for for blackness, um, what it's doing for it's for and to anti-blackness. Um, uh, as as a um, those those um, those concepts, you can see it through the particular. Um, uh, rhetorics that the book argues uh, for as um, um, important to think about within white educational spaces as ways to resist, but also ways that um, one might still be caught up in a racist structure. Um, I, which again, speaks back, back to the slash anti slash racist canvas rhetorics. There is, there's is a way that um, we, we, there's so much talk around anti-racism because because of racism right anti-racism only exists because (laughs) racism exists um and the interplay between that um uh, is something that uh, i find fascinating to think about
1: Hmm. yeah um well and talking about those types of you know resistance and or lack thereof or attempts or resisting but still being implicated in white supremacist structures. You talk about a clash that was recorded between mostly Black and some Brown students who were protesting by occupying a, a university building, and then they were clashing with the university you know, administrators. You note that in the context of Blackness at the university, and I quote, Difference instead of signaling diversity in scare quotes spotlights deviance, and this made me think about. Um, and you mentioned this at, at one point kind of the, the neoliberal ideal of colorblindness, race blindness, um, and then the way that diversity is this buzzword that actually obscures what's happening um, in actuality on the ground in terms of anti-blackness, but then also resistance to that. Um, How how do you think that kind of clash operates in the context of race blindness, but then also kind of the hyper-visibility Of blackness as deviance.
0: Yeah, another great question, Uh, and and I think that's that clashes something that the book is actively sort of exploring, and um, you know, uh, um, trying to um, think about um, how that sort of bubbles up and is communicated um, uh, in particular tense moments, Um, and so. And building on um, uh, the work of cultural theorist Sarah Ahmed, whose "On Being Included," whose book "On Being Included," theorizes that diversity initiatives and even the word at "diversity" at historically, in historically white institutions, is uh, uh, um, works as a quote unquote non-performative, uh, meaning that uh, it it's. A, it supposedly achieves what it's supposed to achieve just by the bare fact of it, of it of it being a thing, a policy, but in fact doesn't do anything. And so I wanted with this book to think specifically about how that relates to uh, Black people and their, their being sort of seen as representations of diversity. And so... Um, and uh, thinking about this throughout the book, really, um, you, you pointed to a spot in chapter four in terms of the protest. Um, but in chapter one, I'm thinking about this it, along sort of my own identity and how I was, you know, my image has been used for these purposes. Um, but, you know, also in terms of how staff and how, how uh, other, you know, um, uh, faculty, uh, students, etc. cetera, um, are um, being read along these particular lines so the chapter that you point out um, is um, is specifically about policy at um, uh, at wide educational institutions and attempts to read a series of artifacts um, uh, um, related to quote unquote diversity but also in relation to security and um, uh, um, in a particular six, six month month period, so um, if it, when the book looks at what you know security mechanisms are in place in the six month period in two thousand sixteen, um, uh, uh, I look at notifications about campus crime, uh, and the though there are you know thousands of crimes, particular notifications come to to, to students, staff, and faculty about. Um, you know the most dangerous crimes, and within that period, I believe all of them involve the word "black" uh, and descriptions of what are stereotypes of black people, um, uh, wearing certain hairstyles, wearing certain kinds of clothes, etc. And a lot at the same time, there are student activists who are attempting to get the university to dive uh, um, uh, to. Um, uh stop sort of giving money to really corrupt awful you know um uh companies um uh, and to really just be transparent honestly about its its operations uh, I think the the movement that I read about the particular um, um protest was really about hey just tell us what you know how how much you have invested tell us how much you know where the 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 Um, money you're gaining from tuition and from endowments, et cetera, is, you know, where that is um, uh, going to. And the students are simply having a sit-in, you know, not... um, uh, um, I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into, you know quote unquote violent and nonviolent protests and that you know but this is a this is a nonviolent protest they're sitting right um uh because violence depends on the reader of you know uh, of the situation um uh and so these students are um being asked to leave by white administration for a number of issues and they're being they're using particular words to describe these students these white administrators uh disruptive um uh all of these sort of code words, right, um, for for saying effectively that they're racialized in a particular way, uh, and so that's where the this whole idea of um, how or or the clash between the university mobilizing diversity for, for its purposes while also mobilizing racially colorblind language um, comes to a head. So. Um, you see this administrator using language to describe these students who are simply sitting um, in particular ways, um, but not saying, hey, you know, obviously I'm, I'm saying this because you're black and you're, you're brown students. Um, and as these protesters are asking for clarification, what did we do? Why are we disruptive? Um, they're saying what well, you rushed the door um, when your food came um, and, uh, they're saying, but we didn't, the cops stopped the food from coming in. So that's, that what, that's where the perceived rush came from. It was the the emergency to get it beyond the barrier. And, uh, the administrators are sort of doubling down on that's disruption. You're disrupting the, the sort of usual flow of business in this building at 10 PM or sometime late at night. Um, uh, that the workers who would come to do their jobs the next day are not going to be comfortable coming into this building um, if they're there at 10 the night before. Um, and so um, at one point, one of these um, protesters, a, a black woman, uh, very clearly says, you know, they, the, these protesters are asking why are we disruptive? They're saying they're, Threatening really violence, you know, to throw you into paddy wagons. I believe is a phrase that was used, um, uh, which has its own sort of historical connotations, right? Because you know, who how, who talks about about police violence in this way um, in in twenty sixteen? Uh, you know, it, it shows a particular kind of, of of thought pattern. But the the students then respond, "You're calling us." These things because we're people of color, and it's in that moment I think we can understand something like power slash ontology. Where to say that to make that call out is to call attention to the racial stress of the moment of the the white university attempting to unrace the situation and say, "Well, you're good students, but you're being disruptive," and to to understand that as no, we're simply being students of color um, in this in this space, and you're asking you're you're saying that we're being violent and disruptive when we're simply here. And so this connects with the larger you know campus psychology when you think about these text messages and these notifications that are going out and saying, you know, look out for. Uh, you know, a black man between five foot seven and five foot 10, who is wearing jeans and a white Um, t-shirt that, that creates this air of um, uh, what again, Christina shop would call brutal uh, imagination um, uh, um, where it's easy to map disruptive. It's easy to map criminal onto black bodies in this space. Um, and what that chapter is attempting to do is to, to show how these everyday things, you know, student protests happens all the time, the notification, crime notifications, um, I believe are still happening on this particular campus that um, uh, I analyze, uh, these things happen every day. And my being, you know, uh, brutalized by police happens every day. Um, it doesn't have to, to be that we see a snuff video of uh, um, uh, of, um, uh, of someone being killed by, by the police for, for that to, 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 you know, it shouldn't have to take that for it to register. Like this is an everyday thing that happens uh, and it happens in educational spaces or, you know, in or adjacent to it that um, the, the, these things are happening on an everyday level and there are ways that people are resisting on an everyday level. Um, but then the ways that they're resisting get taken up and used in particularly racist ways as well. Um, uh, and, and so in that chapter, I talk about white supremacists on campus and I talk about um, how this video was used um, by white supremacists online to say the university stood up for us. And so the, 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 the university, in, in, doing, in, in doing this work of, you know, we want to champion diversity, we want to um, uh, embrace difference, by by bringing or, or by inviting or you know by admitting black students into these spaces, um, what they're doing is is sort of engaging in a kind of uh, um, white supremacist um, uh, um, action that is probably not intentional, but given the structures of the university. Um, given the technologies of the university, given um, who, you know, the th- kinds of things that administra- administrators say publicly, um, um, we can see when we start thinking about the entire, you know, the deep ecology of it, where is this, this protest going, you know, this protest video going online after the fact that it, you know, it is a protest video and it demonstrates a kind of resistance, who is it soothing? Um, uh, which you know ties back to you know literal slogans that were written on white supremacist posters at this university uh, that said "quote unquote" serve your people um, to to white students. So um, that chapter is making those connections um, and trying trying to think across all of these artifacts to, to really um, uh, bring attention to or call attention to. Um, how um, uh, diversity as a policy is working or not working, um, and and what when we think about diversity as a social good, both good as in you know uh, a positive thing and good as in a commodity, um, what um, you know what comes to mind um, when we think about that. Um, probably doesn't align with what is happening on the everyday level um, to, you know, and think in terms of thinking about um, the use of policy, the use of, of um, uh, um, public sort of technologies, information technologies that it, within those spaces, the use of a classroom um, uh, and all these, these other parts of that ecology.
1: Hmm. Yeah. In the world of white supremacy how can you not be in white supremacy right (laughs) to summarize (laughs) Um, in other words um yeah no that's that's really important um and we've taken up a lot of your time here now but just to kind of wrap up um future projects what are you working on at the moment or within the next couple of years
0: Um, so I have a few things that are going to, um, come out this year, um, in terms of articles, uh, one of them is looking at, um, uh, the way that we think about anti-racism, uh, as this kind of reparative thing or a response to racism and how we should sort of maybe reorient our understanding that it shouldn't have to take, you know, black people being mooted in a really public way for us to care about anti-racism. Uh, and what does it mean to do anti-racism that doesn't start with responding to whiteness or white fragility or, um, or emergency, you know, um, uh, driven foci. Um, and so that's one project that'll be out this year. Um, I'm working on another project about, you um, um, something called rhetorical asphyxia, um, uh, which looks, which is doing a deep dive into, um, the uses of the, the, the phrase I can't breathe, uh, and the way that, um, that notion of I can't breathe is something really deeply ecological, um, that, um, it's not, not, simply um a protest chant or thing, uh, something that someone has literally said to the police to sort of um uh, try to uh, save their lives but also related to uh environmental factors such as you know uh, potable drinking water um, such as the way that lifestyle diseases are understood um uh in 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 black communities uh, and the way that um particular industries sort of pump that into those, um, those places. Um, so it's thinking, um, about the interconnectedness between, between the phrase I can't breathe and all of these different, um, uh, um, anti-black, um, uh, um, uh, I guess, um, technologies. Um, the, um, Book project that I'm working on next is a co-authored project called "The Benevolent Gaslight: A Technology of Whiteness," which um, is with my friends uh, Pratha Prasad uh, at the University of Kansas. And this project is looking at the ways in which um, uh, racialized gaslighting works in a kind of benevolent way um, as a as a means to. Um, uh, make people of color um, question their memories and histories. Um, And so um, it's looking at that in a number of ways, both in terms of um, things that are happening inside the academy, but also in popular culture um, and in politics, um, uh, the way that racist acts tend to be framed as teaching moments, um, as a way to say, Oh, I've learned from this, and you can too, by being racist, which affords a kind of particular ethos to people who have been racist. Um, so it, it, it really looks at that um, across a number of different um, uh, spectra. Um, and so that's, um, there's an article version of that that's coming out soon. Uh, um, and uh, the book version is likely to be out in the next couple of years. Um, and then I'm working on another single authored project about memes and, uh, black mimesis and the way in which, um, uh, memes circulate, uh, a kind of, uh, alternate form of, um, black meaning making, um, throughout the black diaspora, um, uh, and I'm thinking about memes really broadly as sort of like cultural ideas that get passed on and, uh, uh, and, um, um, mutate in particular ways. Um, so I'm looking at, um, how that relates to, uh, black racial identity, um, by particularly looking at particular memes, uh, but also black literature and music, uh, and the way that, um uh, black language and black ideas circulate through, um, uh, memes, uh, and, and the idea of, um, mimesis. So, yeah, um, I'll stop talking. there as a few other projects, but that's, that's, that's to give you an idea of, um, of what I'm, I'm up to next. Yeah.
1: That's great. No, all of that sounds really interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for all of it. Um, Well, thanks so much, Louis, for talking about your book today Um, and have a great afternoon. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, to talk about my book. And I appreciate um, uh, the um, really thought provoking questions. Um, uh, Take good care.